0: turning your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke chapter 18. That's the Gospel of Luke chapter 18. And as you're turning there, we want to be mindful to keep in prayer the Robinson family, our dear sister Shanika her mother passed away and went home to be with the Lord this past week. And so she, Brandon, Elijah, and Amari, and Clifton uh, drove into Michigan to prepare the arrangements for the homegoing celebration, which will be at the end of the week. So we want to keep them lifted up. Um, also, I have a word of praise to share with you. Uh, probably about a month ago, maybe, if that long. I put a prayer on Facebook. And I've been praying this prayer for quite some time. And uh, when we get together on Tuesdays as a staff to pray, we pray over this request. And this request is that God would give us transportation, that we might be able to pick up people and bring them to church, um, especially our college students who don't have transportation. And many of the young people that we serve at J.T. Moore during the week and. Um, At Wright Elementary, some of them would like to come to church, but they don't have transportation. And so uh, I was talking to Dr. Allen, and somehow that came up. She said, uh, uh, yeah, there there are a lot of my babies who would love to go to church. And so it impressed upon me that much more. we got to keep praying. So I just put something on Facebook. We're looking for a bus. If you can help, inbox me. And uh, let's see, it was Friday. I got inboxed. And uh, someone wants to help us get transportation to the degree where they're donating twenty-five thousand dollars to Strong Tower Bible Church. To get transportation. And so uh, I was able to text my buddy, Pastor Jerry, gave him the information, and Jerry was out the next day looking at a, a van, because on Wednesday nights, uh, we rely on a family to transport children into uh, the church uh, who don't live in this community. And so we thank you, Rachel Knox, for that. And so it looks like uh, maybe next week, we might have a van sitting out here that we can do God's work in. <laughs> that's huge, man, that's huge, that's huge. So we're going to need some drivers and some folks to let us know strategically who we pick up. I see Brother Mark. Wow. Because tomorrow morning, Strong Todd, I need you to pray about something. Tomorrow morning, we're going to have a meeting with community leaders, uh, Lasagna and I, and Mother Millie is going to be there. One of our deacons will be there. Uh, We're going to meet with leaders in the Southside community of Nashville, also known as Edge Hill. Because Strong Tower has been blessed to be a blessing. Uh, One of my friends, his name is Chris Whitney. He's a pastor in Franklin. He also oversees a ministry called One Generation Away, which is a ministry that feeds people who are hungry. And he has been going around the country helping people um, who are hungry. And so he let Lasagna know that he has a a truckload of food coming in, and he was looking for a place to dispense it. And so knowing that many of the children that we serve at J.T. Moore, they go to school to get breakfast because they may not have breakfast at home. Of course, they're gonna get lunch at school. But during the summer months, it can be really tough for some of the students. So on June 23rd, we're setting up shop uh, in the Southside Edge Hill community, and we're doing what we call the Bless Fest. We're gonna bless some folks, not only with food, but there's also gonna be a mobile clinic on hand to check blood pressure, There's gonna be a mobile dentistry on hand. Hopefully I can get some of our barbers who will also help on that day and folks to do the cotton candy machine, do some face painting. Uh, Also on that day, we're going to feed folks. So Pete and Ron, all you guys that like to cook, we're gonna cook for folks and we're just gonna bless the people. It's gonna be for a few hours on a Saturday, um, a Bless Fest. Also our trailer will be out there, our resource trailer that will be stocked with many of the new and gently used clothes that you stock it with throughout the year. It will be out there also, and we're just there to be a blessing. So tomorrow morning at 9.30 at Salama Urban Ministries on Eighth Avenue, uh, we're gonna have a meeting with these community leaders to discuss the strategy on how we're gonna do that, and also for Strong Tower to partner with them because people who live in that community have ongoing efforts, and we want to know how we can assist them in ongoing efforts and not just having events. But there's a time and a place for events. And again, we've been blessed to be a blessing. So pray for us tomorrow when we have that meeting um, as Strong Tower builds bridges with other ministries and and other uh, pastors in the community. But then finally, um, as you're praying for us from 9.30 to 11, uh, at 11 a.m., my wife just keeps getting doors opening up for her. The Bible says when Peter got out of prison the church is praying for him and he came to a gate and the bible says it opened by itself and as you know my wife has written a book she got in late last night from Virginia and God's opening up doors for her that is clear it's only him so when you get a telephone call saying that we want you to be on talk of the town tomorrow morning uh, that's that's huge. so uh, you know I would be there I would be there with you, but I I have another meeting to be in. So Chase is gonna be there as your assistant, carrying your bag, taking pictures and all that stuff. But um, amen, this this is a time where folks need to hear this message, uh, that we're to be colorful, not colorblind. We're to celebrate who we are and how God has made us. If you could use a children's book, because as Doreena has said when she goes to these events, there are adults buying these books. A lady bought ten yesterday, and so adults are reading this book, just simple. And if the kingdom can come uh, to children, and they can get this, and God says, I'm going to use children to teach adults the kingdom, then he can use something like a children's book to soften hearts and open minds. So amen, and thank you, Strong Tower. And just like the missionaries, my wife feels thrust out from Strong Tower. This is her covering and uh, this is her life here in this body with you. So, babe, this is your season, so proud of you. Amen. Well, I got 33 minutes to try to do this, all right? Because don't nobody want to go over on Mother's Day. Amen? Can the church say amen? Amen. Amen. (laughs) I'm Kind of deaf in this ear, say amen one more time. (laughs) Luke chapter 18, and by the way, uh, My boy Kevin Blanton right here that just plays so beautifully underneath. That was his vision for the men's chorus, y'all. That was was his vision. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you, brother. Use your gifts. Use your gifts. It makes the body better when you use your gifts. And uh, seeing the men up there singing, oh yeah, I know Jewel was back there saying, oh, I got to get him, I got to get him on the group. Oh yeah! Oh, boy, Luke chapter 18, beginning at verse 1. Then he spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray and not lose heart, saying, there was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. Now, there was a widow in that city, and she came to him saying, get justice for me from my adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, Though I do not fear God nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. Then the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge said, and shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, Though he bears long with them, I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? I'd like to entitle this message this morning, The Power of a Praying Woman. The Power of a Praying Woman. It could also be titled, The power of a persistent woman. And I'm learning that prayers are most potent when we are persistent in them. I don't like it when people give me prayer requests that they're not praying about themselves. You know, prayer, it it can be challenging. It can be difficult. And the more that we can hang in there, The more we can endure in our prayers, the more we're going to see our prayers answered. Because sometimes God does not answer our prayers immediately. Some prayers he does that. But sometimes he will allow us to stretch out for a reason. And I hope to visit that. You know, Luke chapter 6 verse 12 says of Jesus that he continued all night in prayer to God. Luke chapter 6 verse 12 says that Jesus continued all night in prayer to God. And the reason why he's praying all night in that passage is because he's about to select his 12 apostles. So before he makes that major decision, he wants to make sure that he's checking in with his father and he's praying all night long. Now, many years ago, Strong Tower Bible Church had An all night prayer vigil. This is in our earlier days when we were young and full of spunk. And we were over at the Resource Center on Noah Drive. And I had this thing, we're gonna pray all night long. And if you can't make it all night, just come in intervals at 10 o'clock or 11 o'clock. We needed a crew to come in at 2 and 3 in the morning, you know, to help us make it through the night. Because some of us used to do other stuff all night long. So, Lord, we're going to follow Jesus' example and pray all night long. Well, it's a bad thing when during the all-night prayer meeting, the pastor falls asleep (laughs) during the prayer meeting. Because, I mean, that's one of the things you say you're going to do. But when you get up in there and it hits around 3.30 in the morning and you've been praying all night, you get tired and my eyes got heavy. And so I fell asleep. And when I sleep, I snore. (laughs) So people are taking pictures of me, (laughs) making fun of me. So now (laughs) I wake up, just mm, I wake up and I'm like, oh man, I fell asleep. So I wake up and I start praying. Now when I start praying, I don't know that somebody else is already praying at the time. But because I can't hear out of this ear, I prayed over top of Aaron Kinney. Aaron Kenny, six foot five, 260 pounds, but he has a small voice, real quiet voice. So when he, he was praying, Lord, would you bless the church? I woke up, Lord and Father, God bless. I'm all over top of Aaron Kenny. Oh boy, we haven't had an all-night prayer service since that time. <laughs> but don't laugh too much now. Because some of us can't pray for an hour without falling asleep. <laughs> We can't persist in our prayers for an hour without checking the phone, without having to move, without having to get up. Uh, Persistence is critical if we are to have an effective prayer life. Oh boy, that's why Jesus said, Knock and the door will be open. Seek and you shall find. Ask and it will be given. And when he says that, it is recorded in the Greek language in the present tense, the present continuous, which means keep on knocking. Don't knock once, keep on knocking. Don't just ask once, keep on asking. Just don't seek on Sunday. Seek Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Because God is after the intimacy. He can give us whatever we want when we want, when we ask. And a lot of times those things are not meant for us. uh, Because again, if you're not praying about it on a continuous basis, it's probably not important to you. And so God will even use the time to purify our motives and and to test our hearts on how important this prayer request is. But some of us, like this widow in this story, we keep going. We keep going because it is very precious to our hearts what we're asking God. So I want to call out a few things to you today. The first thing is the parable, the parable that we see in verse 1 where it says, Then he spoke a parable to them. The Bible says that Jesus was the greatest speaker to ever speak. The Bible says never a man ever spoke like that man. And Jesus would incorporate various tools and techniques in his teaching. And one of them was the incorporation of parables. A parable is simply a simple story with a central meaning. So when you read the parables in the gospels, Recognize it's just a simple story. It's an illustration that has a central meaning. The problem for us many times when we're interpreting scriptures is that we try to strain the illustration when we're interpreting it. We try to make every part of the parable mean something. Sometimes they do. But sometimes we can miss the meaning of the parable because we're trying to interpret it with Eastern uh, lenses, I mean, Western lenses, excuse me, as opposed to the Western way of teaching, which is there's a central point to be gained in this parable. And so it's a simple story with a central meaning. Uh, para in parable, para means to come alongside. Balas means to throw. And that's where we get the word ball from, to throw a ball. Para balas, to come alongside to come alongside. In other words, you're throwing a story alongside of a spiritual truth that you're trying to communicate. You put a story beside it for the sake of bringing about a comparison or even a contrast. So you're telling a story alongside of a kingdom principle so that the people can get the principle either by a contrast or by some sort of comparison. And Jesus was a master teacher. Uh, And so as we get to this portion and look we have to ask now why did he speak a parable to them at this time well in chapter 17 beginning at verse 20 and going all the way to verse 37 the discussion shifts to end times the pharisees ask jesus a question and that is when is the kingdom of god going to come And so Jesus begins to talk to them about the kingdom of God. And as he talks about how one of the signs of the end times is that there's going to be perilous suffering and there's going to be all kinds of bloodshed and war. uh, But as people uh, are living during the end times, they're going to be like in the days of Noah, even in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah. They're going to be celebrating and going on with life but destruction is going to come upon them suddenly. And Jesus is saying that you'll know when the kingdom of God comes because the king will come like lightning flashing from the sky. Jesus said he will come back, and that's when we know the kingdom of God has come, and that is when the king returns. Yes, we know that the kingdom is here in us, but it's also coming. The kingdom is now through the church, and it's not yet because the king is coming. So he tells a parable In order to remind them of how Christians or believers are to conduct themselves during the end times. Because because the end times is going to be a mean time. So during that mean time, what you need to do is be people of prayer. You have to look to God, depend on God. So he gives them a parable. And so in Luke chapter 18 verse 1 it says, then he spoke a parable to them. Understanding the context He just told them about the coming kingdom. He just told them about suffering. He just told them about there will be people who will die. He says, I'm going to give you a parable that men always ought to pray and not lose heart. And so that word prayer there, men always ought to pray, is also in the present continuous tense. Men ought to keep on praying. Men ought to keep on praying because praying is like oxygen for us. It's the oxygen of heaven. If we are not talking to God, we will lose heavenly perspective. We won't have the air, the breath of God operating in our lives because we're not in his presence. We're not talking to him, and we're not listening to him in the quiet place. But when we do, we get oxygen from heaven. When we don't, we faint. We fall out. That's why when you're in an airplane and if there's a loss of cabin pressure, if there's no air in the cabin... These things will fall from the ceiling so that you can get oxygen. And they always tell the adults, put yours on first so that you can then assist your child. Because if you don't put yours on first, you might faint from lack of oxygen. And so therefore, you'll pass out and maybe your child will pass out. So adult, get your oxygen first and then make sure you get oxygen to your child. So Jesus is saying you need oxygen from heaven during the last days. Because it's almost like going down scuba diving. Now, when my family goes on vacation, we're not going scuba diving, but we're going to stay on top of the water. What is that stuff when you stay on top of the water? Snorkeling. That's as far as we're going to go, right? We're not scuba diving. But in order to scuba dive, you've got to have help from above. Because the deeper you go, the more air you're going to need. So they put a tank on your back if you're going to scuba dive. And if you go deep sea diving, and even back in the day when the military would send those men with those big weighted suits, they would go down into the water and there would be a hose connected from the suit all the way up to the boat cranking oxygen so that they can survive down there with air from up there. So as we live down here in this fallen world, we've got to have air from up there so that we don't faint and fall out. And that air comes when we spend time in the presence of God through prayer. So as we get into his presence, we can survive the mean times. But I got to let you know something. It's Mother's Day. I had you in mind when I came to this passage because Jesus is going to throw a twist at the guys. Yes, I'm going to teach you about prayer. Yes, it is your oxygen to live, to be in God's presence, not just asking for stuff, but being content to just be with him. You see, God just doesn't want his children visiting on weekends. You know, he wants his children with him every day. And so he will allow things to come in our lives so that we have to depend on him and look to him for oxygen. But the way Jesus is going to mess with these guys is he's going to tell them about prayer. But he's going to use a woman as an example of how to persist in prayer. Oh, I love how Jesus taught. Again, master teacher. So there's a group of men asking him questions, Pharisees. Then there's another group of men, the 12 apostles. They're asking him questions. So guys, in order to teach you about prayer, I'm going to teach you through a woman. Now, brothers, there are things in life we can learn from women. Amen? Oh, that was a little There are things we can learn from women. Amen. I learned how to cook watching my mother cook. And when my wife's out of town, my kids get maybe three or four things on the menu. Now, I'm trying to get healthier than I am, but right now, I fry everything because Betty Williamson fried everything. She fried the lettuce and the cereal. and <laughs> My kid's going to get steak, chicken, pork chops when mama is out of town. But, but now daddy's trying to give y'all salads. Amen, amen, with grilled chicken. But anyway, moving on. A woman can teach a man a lot of things, and she can really teach a man about God. A woman can teach a man about God, but don't you know there are some men who think that they can't receive any instruction on spiritual things from women, and the disciples were in that boat because when Jesus had been crucified, other than the apostle John, who was there looking after the mother of Jesus... All of the other apostles had fled when they said they wouldn't. The only people out there were the women who had accompanied Jesus in his ministry. Luke chapter 8 says that the women helped provide him substance in his ministry. And so when the men should have been on post, the women were standing on post. And they watched also where they put the body of Jesus. The Bible says they were watching. What to? Because they were going to come early Sunday morning and anoint the body of Jesus because they knew Joseph and Nicodemus weren't going to do a real good job at it. So they were coming on Sunday to anoint that body again. And when they showed up on Sunday, you know the story. Jesus had risen. He met up with the women. And listen to this. He told the women, don't hold on to me, don't cling on to me now, I'm going to my father, but go and tell my brothers to meet me in Galilee. So the Lord gave a word to the women to give to the men about his resurrection. In other words, he had just commissioned them to go preach to the men. And so when they went to the men, did they have a receptive audience? Of course not. The men thought the women were lying. They didn't want to believe the women. And the women kept on preaching. The women kept on proclaiming until Peter and John got up and went to the tomb and saw it just as the women said. So Jesus, he does nothing by accident. He intentionally chose women to go and tell men because he knew that the men needed to learn something from the women. That's how it should be in the kingdom of God. But many of us come out of male chauvinistic churches As a matter of fact, this ain't just old time. This is stuff going on right now with the Southern Baptist Convention and one of their leaders, Paige Patterson, who had counseled a woman to submit herself to physical violence, even having her eyes blackened by her husband physically so that the husband would come to church and give his life to Christ. And he for a moment said he's not recanting On encouraging that kind of teaching he said no I'm not recanting but because of pressure that was brought upon him primarily by Beth Moore and other women leaders around the country he changed his position because as we'll see sometimes people in authority won't change unless there's a persistent check against that power to say you need to adjust that you need to change that that's wrong so he changed his position and he apologized for what he said and so it still happens today and Jesus incorporated women into his ministry. He, he uh, uh, validated women in a way that was unheard of for rabbis in his time. He was being intentional to break down that chauvinistic society. Now, as I say that, i got to put a pin in over here now. <coughs> in all of his encouragement of women, he never made one woman an apostle. Okay? So, so, so a, a, as much as he did, he did not bow down to total uh, female accommodation for the sake of violating God's creative order in the home and even in the kingdom of God. Oh, yeah. Oh, don't throw a shoe at me. I'm going to come back later this summer, and we're going to talk a little bit about that, okay? (coughs) The elders have a meeting later this week, and we're going to be talking about how we incorporate women into our leadership without trying to make women elders or any of that kind of stuff. We're not going to violate the word, but we're not going to be held captive by tradition and fear either so so we've been working on this we've been praying on this we've been following our Lord on this and Jesus says hey guys you want to learn how to pray let me introduce you to a woman who was persistent and if your heart was hard and you didn't think you could learn anything from a woman you went home from church that day and missed the word and so Jesus he gives them an example here now look at the players here in verse two he says there was a certain judge or judge in a certain city. Jesus goes on to say how this judge didn't fear God. In other words, he wasn't a spiritual person. He had no relationship with God. He may have been an atheist or an agnostic, but Jesus went on to say not only did he not fear God, he did not regard people. So he's in a position to serve people, but he doesn't care about people. So that reminds us that everyone who holds a public office, a judge or a politician, they're not always there for the people Many times they're there for themselves, and they're there to fill their pockets. And so we have Jesus even saying here, (coughs) excuse me, I don't know what's going on with my throat. Ah, baby, something going on up in there, but I'm going to preach if I got to keep coughing at y'all. And so Jesus is saying, look, now, there are unjust legal systems. I'm not so spiritual that I'm not going to admit and even acknowledge in my sermons and my teaching that there are unjust systems that are led by unjust people because Jesus said the judge was unjust. He didn't regard God or man, and he's in a position to help people, and rather than using his power to help people, he uses his power to promote himself. But here's another thing you got to know about this judge, though. This judge was probably a Gentile. It wasn't a Jewish man. How do you know that? Because when Jewish people settled disputes, they wouldn't use one judge They would use three judges. In the mouth of two or three witnesses for the Jewish people, every matter would be established. They would go downtown, which was called the gate, and there would be three men who would stand, one for the plaintiff, one for the defendant, and one would just be there independent in order to judge a case. And so because this woman goes to one judge, this is not a team of Jewish men. This is a Gentile man put in place by either Herod or by the Roman government. And when Gentiles would judge over districts and over uh, uh, portions of the community, they would have portable uh, uh, judge rooms or, or, or chambers. What I mean by that is they would have a tent that the judge would sit in and the people would come into the tent in order to get their case heard. And the judge would move his tent throughout his district in the area judging cases, and the judge would also have assistants who were outside the tent who would allow people to come in and announce to the judge what the issue was. Now, if you had money, you could give to the assistant, and the assistant would make sure you got in, and perhaps your case would be favorably judged by the judge with the wink of an eye because this person gave money in order to get the thing done in their favor. And so this is what this guy was a part of, this unjust judge a Gentile man, uh, and he doesn't fear God, he doesn't regard people, and he has this portable court that works on bribes. But then you've got the widow who is found also in verse 3. There was a widow in that city. Now, widows were on the lowest rung of society. They were normally poor, Uh, Once the husband died, they were not covered anymore. And when it came to court, women weren't supposed to just go to court by themselves. Men went to the courts and into the judicial system, and many times they would bring their wives with them, but she doesn't have a husband to go for her, so she's going for herself, so she's going against the customs of the day. And being a widow, she doesn't have resources to pay a bribe outside of the tent, So she really has to just trust in God so that she could get justice. And the question is, what does she need justice for? We don't know. But Jesus says, the woman is saying, get justice for me. And being a widow, many times the widows would have their homes or their land taken when their husbands died. Which is why in the Old Testament, even in the New Testament, you see God standing up to defend the widows and the orphans so that people would not encroach on the fields of the fatherless. Because if somebody took your fields, they're taking your wealth. If somebody takes your home, they're taking your wealth. And perhaps her husband died with a debt. Uh, We don't know. But she's probably about to lose something that should not be lost. Or she might be losing her children. Because sometimes when uh, there was a debt on a family, they would give their children over uh, as collateral to work as slaves for people that they were indebted to. And so it could be a case where it's time for her children to come back. Maybe it's the year of Jubilee, or maybe the debt has been paid, and the people don't want to honor what the commitment was, and they're taking advantage of her because the husband is dead. So she's going to the court system saying, get justice for me, or in other words, avenge me. And so she's going where she is supposed to go. But dig this plot, though, because in verse 4 it says, and he would not for a while. So she's going where she's supposed to go. She's doing what she's supposed to do, but the judge is not going to give her justice. And the Bible says in verse 4, he would not for a while. And then the Bible goes on to say, but afterward he said within himself, though I do not fear God nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her she's troubling me in other words she's getting on my last (laughs) nerve so when the court move over in this section of Capernaum there she is with her case when they move over here to Nazareth there she is with the case no matter what part of town they move this portable courtroom there's that widow out there saying get justice for me from my adversary she is getting on his last nerve but it doesn't end there because he says at the end of verse 5, lest by her continual coming, she weary me. She's wearying me. And when you go deeper into the Greek language, which can be so colorful, this term wearies me means she's blackening my eyes. She's blackening. I've got black eyes fooling with this woman. <laughs> now, there are two ways to look at this she could have physically threatened him. If you don't hear my case, I'm going to dot your eye, bruh. (laughs) That could be one. And he's like, she's wearing me. She's threatening me. Or I believe this is what it is. Because she's so persistent, he is losing sleep dealing with her. And when some folk lose sleep, it's showing your eyes and you have dark circles under your eyes. So he's saying... I'm losing sleep because this woman, she not only at the court, she might be at his house Uh, and and this can coincide with the parable Jesus told earlier about a friend who comes at midnight knocking on the door and so this woman is just worrying and wearing this man so much that it shows in his face and on his countenance he's got black eyes fooling with her because she won't give up. She's persistent. She keeps coming like our women often do. And so the widow eventually receives justice because he says, I will avenge her. I will avenge her. I will help her. She receives justice because her persistence pays off. So what's the point of this parable, Pastor? Well, the widow is compared to the audience. Remember now, these parables, they will bring comparisons and contrasts. She's compared to the Pharisees in the audience, the disciples in the audience, And the people in this audience, Jesus is using her to teach us how to be persistent in our prayers, to not give up when we pray, to not faint when we pray, to continue to go before the throne of grace with our prayers. For as she went before the court system, we are to continue to go before the most high God with our requests. And because the veil in the temple was torn from top to bottom, we have access 24-7. And God will never say, you're getting on my nerves. (laughs) God will never say, I don't have time for you. God will never say to us, well, I'm talking to somebody over here. You you have to take a number and wait. So we're encouraged by this to be persistent. So the Lord is making a comparison because sometimes we have to wait for our request to manifest, not for it to be heard. Soon as we pray, he hears it. But we wait sometimes because through the waiting he's strengthening us. We're asking for God to change things but prayer is changing us while we're waiting on things to change. So as we get into his presence and then sometimes when we get into his presence we get so caught up with him that the thing we were requesting becomes so minuscule and miniature that it's not a priority anymore. And the Lord is like that's why I didn't give it to you when you first asked because I don't spoil my kids. You know, if I give you everything you ask for, that means as soon as you ask for it, you're spoiled. And God knows some of the stuff we ask for isn't good for us. But as we persist in prayer, our will bends to his will. And he begins to work in us to will and to do of his good pleasure. And so he doesn't always do it right then and there. But if we just wait on the Lord, he'll renew our strength. But then this judge, he's contrasted to God. The widow is compared to the people, and the judge is contrasted to God because Jesus says in verse 6, hear what the unjust judge said. What do you say? I'm going to give her vengeance. I'm going to help her out. She's getting on my nerves. She's going to get her request." Jesus says, did you hear that? And shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? Who's God bearing along with? The people who come against God's elect. So just because I'm elect and chosen by God and one of his children, that doesn't mean that I won't experience injustice in this life where people are gonna do me wrong. Where because I'm the righteousness of God and I give forth the aroma of Jesus, I go some places and folk just don't like that smell. So they're gonna mistreat me because of the smell. They don't like my light, so they're gonna mistreat me because of the light. Whatever it is, sometimes God's people go through seasons of injustice. And when we call out to God about injustices that occur, Jesus is saying, your father hears you. He says in verse 8, I tell you that he will avenge them speedily, especially in the last days when there's going to be so much corruption. And we're in the last of the last days, but there's a great tribulation that's coming. And God's people are going to be under great persecution, and they're going to be crying out to God for him to avenge them. Just like the people in the book of Revelation who had their heads cut off, and they were up under the altar saying, God, when will you avenge us? So there will be people even in heaven who didn't see their justice on earth, but they're praying to God in eternity saying, God, will you take care of that cesspool called earth? And God is like, yes, I will. And Jesus says, God's going to do it speedily. Now, here's the problem. God works on a different time clock than we do. So what's speedily to God is slow to us. And once again, he's being patient because we should be praying for the people who persecute us. Not that God just deals with them. Yes, vengeance is the Lord's, but we're also to pray for our enemies, that they can have a change of heart. And some of those enemies are the members of our household. And so, God, would you have mercy? uh don't judge them. Don't let their sins come against them at this time. Have mercy on the person that is hurting me, discriminating against me, being unjust towards me. Lord, have mercy so that their hearts can change because once judgment comes, my God. And here's the thing about speedily. For the Christian, we have five seasons. Unbelievers have four seasons. You know, winter, spring, summer, fall. Unbelievable. But Christians got five seasons winter, spring, summer, fall. All of those are times. But the fifth one is due season. So there's winter, spring, summer, fall. And for the Christian, due season. And due season is when God says, okay, I've heard enough. I'm stepping in to this situation. And we just have to be patient to know that, Father, he knows what's best. He's a good God. He's righteous. He's not unjust. He's not a man that he should lie. He's not a man to be evil. He's a good father. And if he hasn't come through yet, doesn't mean he won't come through. He's going to come through in due season. And according to his clock, it's going to be speedily. But while I'm waiting on him, he's working some character into me. He's even purging me of some stuff, making me more like Christ. And so we learn from this woman how to be persistent in prayer. We're here today because we had some persistent mothers who knew how to pray. We're here today because we had some mothers who would not give up when things were coming against them and they were facing injustice and they were shielding us as children. They were working multiple jobs, doing whatever they had to do to make sure that we had enough. And so we have women that we can learn from. To not only be persistent in prayer, but also to be persistent with the things of life. This woman in the parable would not take no for an answer. And we have many mothers who would not take no for an answer. We can learn from them about how to be tenacious. We can learn from them about how to have stick to and not give up and not quit. Well, every Saturday, every Saturday, almost every Saturday, but pretty much every Saturday, my mother in Baltimore, Maryland, Betty Williamson, who will be 78 years old this year, who has been a widow uh, for the past 18 years. Without fail, she's going to talk to me and my brother Harold on Saturday. And she really has to get to me on Saturday because I can't pray or preach right if mama don't pray for me on Saturday to pray and preach right. And this thing, when she calls me, it turns into a mini worship service. Because she's like, well, the scripture for today is so I'm like, mama. And she gonna read from the scripture. And I say, Mom, I don't have a lot of time. I'm trying to take one of the kids somewhere. Well, the scripture for today is coming from. And then she gonna pray. (laughs) And there are people when they pray, they praying for real. This ain't no little, you know, camouflage prayer, little, you know, no, she praying for stuff we really need. And she covered all the grandchildren by name. I'm like, Mama, I just pulled up to the spot I got to be at. You know, I got to pick these roses up. Mama, can you hurry up? (laughs) And it reminds me of one of the first songs I ever learned when I became a believer. And that is, my mother prayed for me. Had me on her mind. She took the time to pray for me. I'm so glad she prayed. I'm so glad she prayed. She took the time to pray for me. So mothers, keep praying. Keep persisting. Keep pressing on. Don't give up. We're watching you. We're looking to you. We're learning from you. Happy Mother's Day. Let's stand to our feet. Let's stand to our feet. Amen. Who's that hand for? Was that for me? If that was for me, that's weak. Let's give Jesus a hand. Some of y'all were like, amen. Put your hands on the ladies. Hold hands with the ladies. Hold hands with the ladies. Wow. The world's such a better place because of you. Thank you for your persistence. Father God, thank you for these mothers who face so much adversity but yet by your grace and your strength and your indwelling power, they've been able to press on. Lord, we think of mothers today who are incarcerated. We think of mothers today who are living on the street. We think of mothers today, Lord, who are in the hospital. We pray, Lord, that you would continue to give them strength. Lord, if childbearing were up to men, Lord, this world wouldn't be as populated as it is today. We just don't have the strength that our women have the physical and even the spiritual tenacity thank you Jesus for using a woman to teach all of us how to keep on praying I pray for the person Lord who's been tempted to give up on you their prayers haven't been answered and they're just saying I don't want to talk to God anymore Lord I pray that that person will get new strength today to get back in that prayer closet and say, in the name of Jesus, I'm going to keep on coming with my request to my good father who knows what I have need of before I ask. Lord, keep doing great things in it through this church through prayer. And thank you for the women who oftentimes lead the way. Now unto him who is able to keep all of us from falling and to pres- present us faultless before his throne with exceeding joy to the only wise God, our Savior, be all of the glory, the majesty, the dominion, and the power, both now and forevermore. And all of God's people said, Amen, amen, amen. amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful Mother's Day.